Ladies and gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. How y'all doing today? <laughs> Welcome back to the JKWD podcast, <laughs> where that actually made some sense in my head. As we have a mountaineer on the podcast today. So there, I like there, them apples. There, there, there. <laughs> <laughs> you got me again, yeah. Mr. Shear. Do my best, Kelvin. Yeah, we're we're almost a hundred episodes in at this point, and you're still yes, laughing at my answer. Wow. And you know what? We're gonna have to go back through all of them and uh, do something goofy. Take out our take out our best, you know, hi- highlights from Kelvin laughing at Josh's intros. Or <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah. Plus, we we probably need to add uh, we probably need to add a few more screen prints. Yeah. Because you know why not. I should shave. Any anyway. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, says the ball guy to the razor. Yeah, I should shave. <laughs> uh, no. Anyway. Anyway, anyway, anyway. This was a great episode. We just had another really great episode. Uh, it's like a streak of wins here. I'm loving this. Um, so we're brought to you today... Kevin, you're making faces on the podcast. Oh, sorry. I I thought I did something and I did something different. No. I'm, I'm better uh, now. Weird. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna give you we're gonna give uh podcastguests.com a shout out. I mean they're not a sponsor, but uh yeah, if you've enjoyed these guests the last month or so, um we found all of them through through podcastguests.com. Um, if you have a podcast, you can sign up to uh, be featured on there. If you are a potential guest, you can also sign up to be featured on there. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a great little service, and we've really enjoyed it. <coughs> Bless you. Thank you very much. Oh, that was supposed to hide. That was supposed to go into the elbow, not the microphone. Yeah, well, that's what the mute button's for, but some of us aren't that fast. Um, <laughs> We're also, to, we're also brought to you today by Audible, audibletrial.com slash JKWD for your free audiobook, your free month at Audible, or text JKWD to 500-500. That's audibletrial.com slash JKWD, or text JKWD to 500-500, and you could get your free audio edition of Just for the Love of It by Kathy O'Dowd who, wait for it, is our guest today. <laughs> yes, she is. Yeah. And, and and she has a lot to say um, about making sure you're climbing the right mountains and understanding that success isn't always the summit. Yes. That kind of thing. So don't don't skip this one if you're not into climbing mountains or anything cuz uh there's a there's a lot of a lot of good life lessons in this one and a lot of good team lessons if you are part of a team or you lead a team or you want a team around you. Yep. It's nice. Yeah, I think we should stop babbling and let them listen to Kathy O'Dowd. 
Alrighty then. So what we'd like to do is uh, say, hey, welcome, Kathy. And because everybody else has the same Google and as I do, we're just and we could just read whatever we want. Why don't you um, do a little better job of telling us who you are, what you do and why? All right. I'm Kathy O'Dowd. I'm best known as the first woman in the world to climb Everest. And the trouble with that is it's like this weight that follows me through the world. <laughs> and on one hand, it's made my career. It's allowed me to be a motivational speaker and an author and honestly to spend the last 20 years not having a real job. On the other hand, I sometimes feel as if it's the only mountain anyone ever wants to talk about. And I've spent 30 years climbing. So <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I have mixed feelings about being being known for Everest, but that's me. Climber, speaker, mountaineer. Well, since the highest hill I climb is the staircase in my house. Um now did I read something about both sides of Mount Everest? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Mountain's so, a mountain to me, so what's the big deal? Um, I didn't mean it to sound like that. You know what I'm saying. I mean, okay. These are big mountains. Very big. So the other side of Everest is an entirely different country. Uh, and from a mountaineering point of view, it's, it's like a different climb. The one side's in Nepal, uh, the other's in Tibet. Different climate, different geology. The two routes literally meet when you stand on the summit. But in terms of the record, honestly... I'm not going to walk into a room full of mountaineers and go like, hey, do you know who I am? <laughs> um, because it's, just, you know, it's not that, you know, world shaking. But, but in terms of, you know, getting me corporate speaking work or splashing it on the front of my book or stuff like that. Yeah, it's useful. <laughs> records or records and having a world first opens doors. Wow. Uh, yeah. So talk about some of these other mountains. Ooh, well. What are your favorites? I don't know about favorites because. Or, or what do you feel best about? What do you feel is best for you? The funny thing about trips is it's a combination of the actual thing you're trying to do, but it's also about the weather. Mm-hmm. It's how successful you were or how dramatically you managed to not fail. <laughs> uh, that can also be interesting. And it's about the people you're with. So it's not just this mountain I conquered, this mountain I didn't. It's about this trip just came together in ways that were so satisfying. And some of the best trips are the ones where we haven't done the objective and we've had to just make it up on the spot. This isn't working. What are we going to do? And that's fun. Those are some of my nicest trips. But for dramatic mountains, I'd give you Nanga Parbat. And poor Nanga Parbat, I mean, no one's ever heard of it. It's number nine in the world. 
it's up there with K2 for being dangerous, for people being killed on it. And I was part of a team that climbed a new route. So now this is much more challenging than something like Everest. Before we start climbing a new route on purpose? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's, <laughs> I, mean, I just... I mean, <laughs> I mean sometimes... sometimes I'm just being lost. Yeah. By accident. <laughs> I was just walking down the road minding my own business and this freaking mountain showed up. Yeah. <laughs> I will say in the process of trying to get off this mountain because we had to traverse it, we went down a thing that no one has ever climbed for very good reason. <laughs> and we did that because we got lost in the mist. So it does happen. Oh, but no, wow. I mean, when people say, you know, people in the street go like, yeah, yeah, let's conquer Everest. I mean, Everest 2018, for $130,000, you can have a helicopter to base camp, a private chef all the way up the mountain, four Sherpas, at all times, carrying your stuff. You know, basically, Everest is now a midlife crisis for rich people. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Oh, really? <laughs> really, yeah. Huh. So None the question is, you know... the TV shows, huh? Oh, my yeah, gosh. Well, trust me, once reality TV is there, you know it's not much of a challenge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So where do mountaineers go when, you know, what now is the cutting edge of the sport? Mm-hmm. And it is things like trying to do new routes on the 8,000-meter peaks, the highest mountains in the world. And that's why Nanga Parbat was so interesting. The Mazeno Ridge was the highest, the longest unclimbed ridge in the Himalaya, the high Himalaya. It sat at, or it sits at uh, 7,000 meters. So that's 24,000 feet, I think. Yeah, right about that. And the ridge itself is like three miles long at 24,000 feet with eight mountain summits to cross. So you're camping at 24,000 feet for a week while you climb your way along a knife edge ridge. Just, like, just yeah, one second. Okay. <laughs> Am I understanding that you're doing this on purpose? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you went there house. for? Wow. This is my holiday drive. Oh, I actually my put money gosh. into this. <laughs> No, I mean, the, yeah, actually, that climb was the hardest thing I've ever done, and it came as close to the limit as I wish to go. I mean, the thing about us, we're not actually chasing, we're not dicing with death. We're not chasing adrenaline rushes. We're up there, very focused, very purposeful, trying to go as far as you can, but trying not to die. You know, that is reasonably important. We do have that in mind. <laughs> So <laughs> good, good that know. expedition, we came as close as I wish to going. We have very, very, very few options to get out of here. Wow. I don't think I'll do something that difficult again. And you're so, I mean, you're camping at 7,000 meters. Do you, I mean, do you need just oxygen to exist in your no, tent? No. no? no uh, at this level of climbing, nobody uses artificial oxygen. We oh, don't even wow. have any with us. Uh, we're climbing what is called alpine style. Okay. Which means that you leave base camp carrying everything. Your tents, your sleeping bag, your stoves, all your gas. Gas melts snow, so gas equals water, and all your food. There's no resupply. There's no, you know, siege-style setting camps. You just start climbing, and you keep going until you run out of food or gas or energy 
<laughs> and then you've got to get yourself off the mountain. <laughs> and we went up with a 10-day plan, which wasn't long enough. Uh, we tried for the summit on day 11. You've got to leave some days to get down. Right. So 10 days is supposed to have got us down, and we've run out of food, and we're still trying to get to the summit. And we blew it. We got it wrong. And at that point, four of us out of a team of six said enough. We've now got two days to climb down a route we've never seen before with no food, which we did. And that's when we got lost in the mist and there was a broken ankle and an avalanche. And, but, but we got out. But everybody got out. Wow. Four. Four. Because okay. two of the guys thought it sounded like a good idea to stay up okay. there and try again. Mm-hmm. And they did on no food. They got to the summit on day 14 on a 10-day plan, ran out of gas, no water, spent the next three days climbing down the mountain without food or water. And they finally got back to the bottom on day 18. Wow. That's the kind of just complete obsessive commitment that makes you world class. And I'm just not quite that prepared. (laughs) Well, you I'm going to go over my official whip shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no one mountain is worth everything. You know, I want to come home and go on and do the next one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I, as not a climber, as somebody who doesn't climb a three-rung ladder to change light bulbs, um, <laughs> it sounds like something that uh, is – important to an expedition is is gathering a team um and preparedness and i think that's important for everyday life too how how do you decide who's on your team and who's playing what role and um who might be a you know who 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 do you have to watch out for who might be a wild card and how do you make decisions in that group It's a funny business, and honestly, I mean, I spend a lot of time talking to corporate leaders about teamwork and team dynamics and leading teams, and mountaineering teams are actually more more of a wild card than people expect, because the truth is you probably don't have the time or the money to put together the ideal team. Right. The truth is, the people you want, they can't get leave, they've just had a kid, they met somebody, they got injured, there are a hundred reasons why your first choices may not be available. Uh, So you often are reaching out through a network, friends of friends, who recommends who. So people are coming in on a recommendation and a reputation. So you don't always like 100% know them, but you kind of know what they've done before. And... And your next challenge, people again assume, well, obviously you're going to spend months working together to become this incredibly tight-knit unit as if you were in the army or something. But the guys in the army are being paid to do that. Right. You've got <laughs> yes, three weeks off of work to get, to get up and down. Exactly. We're taking time off work. You know, some people like me are self-employed, but that, of course, means that I don't get paid leave. Right. If I'm up a mountain, I'm not just not making money. I'm losing money because I'm not working. The other people who get leave from jobs, their employers are only, you know, they're not that keen on having you disappear for two months on an expedition. So people can't take months off for team bonding and this kind of stuff beforehand. 
you do actually end up all flying into Islamabad or Nepal, Kathmandu or something, and, and sometimes meeting each other on the tarmac and going like, we need to make this work. We're professionals, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're passionate about this. We've got to act like adults. And we don't always act like adults. <laughs> <laughs> Even at the very highest level. Really? There, there's, a, there's an expedition right now on K2, hardest mountain in the world, climbing in, in winter, which is the hardest way of climbing it. And they've just had a massive, massive public fight. And one of the guys has walked out. Bummer. Even at the very highest level, we don't always behave, you know, as best we can. How do you, how do you walk out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you just decide to I turn quit. around, and go down. down the mountain, yeah. go back down? <laughs> oh, well, in this case, he's walking out from base camp. But oh, okay. given that you know, it is, you are literally walking because there's no other way of getting out from base camp. <laughs> you know, you pick up your rucksack and start off down the glacier. Wow. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, so things can go wrong. So the truth is, people need to suck it up, people need to be adults, people need to be responsible, and you do better if you can at least pull together people with an agreement about their approach, the culture of the team, why you're doing it, and what you value. And it's not the summit. What you value is about how do you climb, what matters to you, how much will you risk, you know, how much are you in it for yourself, and how much you're prepared to help each other out. And some people are solo superstars, and that's great, but you don't want to be caught in a team with a solo superstar and not realize that that's how it works, you know, your support crew. Mm -hmm. And some people like me need all the help I can get. <laughs> so I need to work with a group of people where we're helping each other out. And we're all aware that we do better if we all pitch in to make sure everybody does the best they can. And that's the kind of supportive environment that, that I like climbing in. Well, I, I was going to ask you how you take all that mountain climbing stuff and transition that to a corporate environment when you're going to talk to this guy about his employees and stuff. But I think you just, I think you just told me. Well, so, let's put it this way. Uh -huh. There's a certain type of egotistical, self-confident, A-type achiever who either goes and climbs high-altitude mountains or ends up running big companies. <laughs> <laughs> and those people are very competitive mm -hmm. and they don't always collaborate very well. And I think there's a strong similarity between the types of people who end up on these mountain teams and the types of people who end up in leadership. One of the things I find with my corporate clients is they come to me and they go like, leadership, you know, we're all leaders and we need to know how to whip out our subordinates, our followers into line. And I'm like, hang on, aren't you a member of your leadership team? You're part of your executive, your strategic, yeah, like they stop thinking of, thinking of themselves as team members super quickly. Mm -hmm. And they become the pinnacle of their silo of power in the organization. And then they wonder why they, their organization, the silos don't talk to each other. <laughs> they don't communicate well. And, you know, so, I mean, I'm not being brought in to tell them that I think they're bad team players, but I do mm -hmm. think it. I think a lot of the leadership are, should spend some time thinking about themselves as members of a team. Do you, and should do think you? Some, spend some time about thinking about themselves collaborating more effectively with the other senior leadership instead of thinking of themselves as the power player um, at top of their own pyramid. 
And, and, and do you actually get to deliver that message to them? <laughs> I mean, I'm being paid to say certain things. I'm not going to say things I don't believe in, uh-huh. but I'm also aware that there's a limit. You know, I have, I'm a mountain climber. I can't exactly wag my finger and tell them how they should run a billion-dollar company. But there are all certain things you can see from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I, I try and – one of the reasons they bring in people like me who don't know anything about running a billion dollar company is I can talk about stuff in the context of the mountain. That's actually stuff they need to think about, but I'm not pointing a finger at them. I'm not criticizing them directly. And I'm not just telling them the same old, same old that they've heard in 20 years worth of corporate life. I'm giving them an example of these kinds of behaviors, the problems and the ways of fixing them from a completely different environment. And I'm hoping that they'll make the connection. <laughs> and they do. Not all of them, but some of them do. Wow. Awesome. It's fun. When did you start climbing? And at what point in that career did you start saying yes to the Teller Summits? I went on one of the classic summer camp at 14, you know, adventure activities. Tried rock climbing, loved it. Didn't get another chance until I went to university. And then as I was terrible at sport at school. I can't hit a ball straight. And I went to one of these all-girls schools where they you know, try to turn us into little ladies. And it was all netball and tennis and hockey. And I was dreadful at all of it. I like individual sports. I like sports where there are no winners and losers. Mm-hmm. I like climbing. I like skiing. I like things where I'm challenging myself. The only thing I'm beating is my own personal best, if that. So as soon as I found rock climbing, I was like, okay, this I like. And then 21, my first expedition to Central Africa. And it was just curiosity. I was never chasing a big goal. I was never chasing Everest. It was just what would it be like to try something a little bit higher, a little bit colder, a little bit harder? Can I cope? Can I learn what I need to learn? just endlessly curious about trying a little bit more. And apparently your answer is yes, you can cope. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I've backed off from things as well. I mean, one of the things I do think you learn by challenging yourself is you learn what you're not good at. Mm-hmm. You learn what you don't like. Mm-hmm. You learn what you don't want to spend your life doing. And I think that's valuable. You know, we, in the mountain climbing space and in, the cultural space, we get given a lot of goals that are valued, whether it's chasing a lot of money in your career or whether it's chasing the hardest mountains in the world in the climbing community. And there's a certain value in trying some of that and going like, you know, this doesn't really do it for me. I want to follow a slightly different path in this space. And that can be quite hard. You know, in my case, I built a career where I spend half my time climbing and skiing. It's good fun, but it means I have less money uh, than, than some people. And, but that's okay. But I had to find that balance for myself and allow myself to redefine success in a way that was meaningful to me rather than just being what the culture around me values. How did you start making the connections between what you saw, um, you know, in team expeditions and 
you know, in kind of the day-to-day things that you enjoy. I mean, you post a lot of skiing pictures on Instagram. Um, yeah. Actually, I was actually looking at this one um, the other day where you're looking down on the Andorras and um, talking about how beautiful they are. And all I, all I can see is that sheer drop right below your ski tips and my hands are sweating. And How did you recognize the stuff that you had, how did you move from the stuff that you enjoyed doing um, out to, how, how did you recognize the connections between that and, you know, what you're talking about to businesses? I fell into it. I didn't even know that this was a career that people like, you know, adventurers could give speeches, get paid to give speeches to business. My first Everest expedition was disastrous, but in dramatic ways. So it was the first South African Everest expedition. Uh, The team dynamic was terrible. I mean, there was really spectacular infighting and power play and posturing and it was eye-opening. So three members of the team walked out before we got to base camp. It was that bad. And we were a big sponsored expedition. We had a journalist. So every piece of fighting was being put into the newspaper. So we would like this running soap opera back in South Africa. And then I was on Everest the year, the famous year of 1996. So there was a movie in 2015 called Everest. That movie was about this year, the storm. There was an IMAX movie about it. There's a famous book called Into Thin Air. I was on Everest while all of that was happening. So our dysfunctional team is in the middle of all this drama. And then we try again after this killer storm and we get to the top. So there's this dramatic success. And then a member of our team is killed on the way down. So now there's a, you know, a huge tragedy. So basically I got back to South Africa notorious, uh, which I had not expected. And I had no training as to how to deal with that. But it did mean that speaker agencies said that they had corporate clients who would pay money and all they wanted was the gossip. What really happened? You know, tell us about this. Tell us about the infighting. You know, tell us the gossip. But the thing is, I've been a university lecturer. I could give a speech. And it's a lot more fun to talk about mountain climbing than it is to talk about the history of black-owned media in South Africa in the 18th <laughs> century, which is, like, pretty dry. <laughs> so, it's like, this is fun. And then a friend of mine was in team training you know, corporate away days. Mm -hmm. And he took me out to lunch and he listened to me go on and on and on about all the fighting. And he just said, Ken Blanchard, go away and read Ken Blanchard and his theory of team development, uh, which he was at the time, he was famous for this cycle, uh, forming, storming, norming, performing. These were his four stages of team development. I haven't read that. And I was like, whoa, that was us. We just took storming to a new height. <laughs> that was us. And, like, and then I started using that as a structure for the speeches. Mm-hmm. And I found my way into going like, you know, this actual value here, beyond the gossip, beyond the storytelling, there is actually a truth here about the way teams operate. And so I found my way into creating a product that then turned out to resonate with my corporate clients. 
So like, yeah, I don't know. You know, <laughs> when people, people are all about goals, five-year goals, 20-year goals. It's like, how am I supposed to know? I couldn't have set a five-year goal to become a, a motivational speaker. I found my way into it. And I guess I don't like setting goals. I like pursuing opportunities. You know, I have a direction in life. I want to go. I know what it is. So I try and make sure I'm moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But within that journey, opportunities, unexpected opportunities, and then making the most of them has got me to amazing places, much more than any kind of goal setting ever has. I'm a big goals guy, so we, we, we'll need another podcast for that one. <laughs> we'll have a conversation about just goal setting and how I, and how I fine-tune it into what you just said you do. But <laughs> Well, I'm here to stand up for those of us who are not goal-orientated. We're process-orientated, and we're in it for the journey. And I think in a, we live in a cultural moment mm-hmm. where goals are kind of uh, elevated and the journey is, not so much. And I'm, I'm cheerleading for those of us who are, who are journeying. I see. Well, well, every journey you take has a, every journey you take has something like a, like a goal, right? Is, um, you know, whatever, you know, let's say you're setting out on an expedition, even if the summit isn't the point, that's your turnaround point. That's your goal, right? You, you know, the, Ideas to get to the summit, come back down. Hopefully everybody's safe. Hopefully everybody's good. Hopefully you didn't run out of food four days ago. Um, And it's just not, it doesn't ruin, it doesn't ruin your next five years if, if getting to the summit didn't, didn't happen, if you didn't hit that goal. But every journey has to, has to have some kind of place you want to get to, right? Agreed. Uh, I believe in goals in the sense that they give me a focus. They get me out of bed in the morning because I'm essentially reasonably lazy mm-hmm. and they make sure I'm not going around in circles. Right. Have okay. I'm moving it. But the truth is there are two goals when you mountain climb. There's getting to the summit and there's getting home alive. They don't necessarily align. They may separate. And in that case, you need to choose the right one, which is coming home alive. Mm-hmm. And people can lose sight of it. We call it summit fever when you get so focused on getting to the summit that you forget about getting down again. Um, But what actually interests me isn't the summit because you spend five minutes on the summit. You've seen most of you on the way up. You know, it's not a failure for not having those five minutes. The value is the entire process and an expedition where we don't get to the summit because things go wrong but we bring all our skill and our experience to recognize what's going wrong, make the right decisions, safely extricate ourselves from an ever more dramatically worsening situation. That's really interesting. And doing that successfully is very satisfying. And my learning is more likely to have been that, managing that environment, than trotting up to the summit in, you know, blue skies and sunshine. So I guess, the value for me is in the journey and in the skills and the experience, right? Not in standing on top. Right. That's more. That's simply the focus to get you on that journey to achieve that yeah. value. To, yeah. But the value is the journey, and the journey might actually end up somewhere else. 
And that can be just fine. All the time. Yeah. Some, of the, some of the best expeditions have been when we had to dump the objective entirely and stand in the middle of the mountains, look at each other and say, we've got this equipment, we've got these skill sets, where shall we go? We'll just make it up as we go along. There you go. And that's been fun, I can tell, because you're still smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I really do enjoy this stuff. Wow. So what, um, whether you want to do it on a mountain or, or whatever, you, what's your most exciting, maybe a dumb question, your most exciting moment in, in, in any of these adventures? Most exciting moment. Well, one, which is kind of obvious, the first Everest expedition, uh, as I mentioned briefly, it was a very dysfunctional expedition. Mm -hmm. Also, I got on at the last minute as the token woman. Um, I wasn't there because I'd been picked as a, you know, a mm -hmm. summit climber. So they didn't think I'd get to the top and I didn't think I'd get to the top. I'd never been above 6,000 meters. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was there to learn as an apprentice. And that is how you learn mountain climbing. You basically go with people who are better than you and you learn from them and you go as far as you can and you hope that on the next expedition you'll get to go further. So I just wanted to go to the Himalaya and all the way up Everest. I never really believed I'd get all the way to the top. And I actually think this is a fine approach because I wasn't the one who was being demoralized by how far away the goal was. I was the one who was excited about, hey, I made camp one. I made camp two. I made camp three. I was racking up successes as I climbed and getting more and more confident. So when we finally went to the summit after nine weeks, you know, I was super excited. To, to be, yeah, long, long expedition. Nine weeks, yeah. Um, I still didn't believe it. So we leave the top camp at midnight and the final piece of the climb you can't see. It's this famous knife edge ridge with these two and a half thousand meter drops on either side. And in the middle of this is a thing called the Hillary Step, a rock climb, which you've got to do it like 8,800 meters. And you can't see it. You just don't know how hard it is. Everyone talks about it endlessly. And I'd never seen it. And at eight o'clock in the morning, I've been climbing since midnight, I finally get onto this thing called the South Summit. And I saw for the first time ever the Knife Edge Ridge and the Hillary Step, the rock climb. And I looked at that and I thought, I can do that. That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's, that's easy. And that moment, that was even better than the summit. That was the moment when I looked at the ridge and I thought, I can do this. I am about to climb Everest. So, yeah, that was one of the best moments of my career. <laughs> and, and was the Hillary step as easy as you thought it was going to be? Yeah. I'm a rock climber. <laughs> I didn't find it terribly difficult. That being said, the thing about mountaineering it depends enormously how much snow there is or isn't in any particular season and then how icy that snow is, how soft, how icy. So mountains change from year to year. Just because something is easy one year doesn't mean it'll be easy the next year. Mm. We got the Hillary Step in reasonably good condition. But also as a rock climber, I didn't think it was all that difficult. So you're making rock climbing 
a different skill set than mountaineering. Definitely. Hmm. It's like it's like running. It's a broad church. I mean, running is everything from the hundred meters to the marathon to the people who run two hundred miles through mountains over five days. You know, running can mean some very very different things. Mm-hmm. And climbing is like that. There are at least five very different categories within climbing. And there's ice climbing, there's bouldering, there's rock climbing, there's mountaineering, various other things. So I do kind of three out of the five categories, something like that. Oh, why not the other two? (laughs) They're not interesting. So bouldering. You know, that's a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. bouldering they are literally climbing big boulders these things are you know like two or three meters long what's the point i like a journey Mm. a boulder is just too small uh the other one i don't like is ice climbing so Mm. these are frozen waterfalls vertical frozen waterfalls oh that's and you climb them with ice axes in your hand and crampons on your boots and they're just all these metal spiky bits and there's not a great deal of safety gear and if you fall off, it just all feels too risky to me. Rock <laughs> you know, climbing feels a good deal safer than ice climbing. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I, neither one <laughs> no, of those appeals to me. Yeah. Oh. Ah, okay. Wow. <laughs> now, I read, I read a couple of things. It's amazing what, what I read here. When you made the first climb to Everett, mm-hmm. um, I thought I read something about some news people or something said, um, that you didn't really climb it because I guess it was too pretty at the top where you were or something. Well, what was that all about? Um, that's never been a serious thing. That first expedition, like I said, uh, a lot of infighting. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the better climbers on the team walked out and back in South Africa, one or two trolls, from their side of the argument, went like, oh, they can't possibly be on the summit. Um, because I was know. better than they thought, because I was <laughs> female and I was younger than them and I was the one standing on top of Everest. Um, <laughs> but basically, there's a famous, she's just died, but mm-hmm. the keeper of the records, mm-hmm. her name was Elizabeth Hawley and she lived in Kathmandu. And for... I don't know, since the 1970s, she interviewed every single expedition that climbed Everest and looked at their evidence. And she was the one who kept kind of the database of who had done Everest and who hadn't. Mm-hmm. And we duly got interviewed by Elizabeth Hawley when we came back from the mountain and showed her the photographs and so on and so on. And there was never any doubt about what we'd done. Ah, okay. Excellent. So at that point, did you start taking lessons, you know, from yourself and uh, you don't need to be the, you don't need to be the best to do something great. And you were, you were good and you were confident, but you were gaining confidence along the way. And you said that some of the better climbers had walked off. And I mean, for a lot of people, you know, Everest is, is the thing. And, and you were, you didn't wait until you were as perfect as you were going to be before you went. You just, you just said, yes, yes, I'll go. Um, How did you kind of have that confidence initially 
And then how did you feel after did that, did that kind of give you, you know, kind of a boost for you know, your future adventures? I think the way of tackling what seem like big challenges is, in my opinion, to kind of take it as the apprenticeship model, by which I mean you do it because you will learn by doing it, whether or not you actually get to the big goal. So if you never try, you're not going to learn anything. But if you try and you kind of rack up successes and skills and confidence as you go, you may get a lot further than you expected. And either way, you'll be better. Uh, and I think there's a lot of things in our world that we hold up as being dramatically impressive. And Everest is a classic example. I mean, Everest is not actually that difficult in mountaineering terms, but it's got this huge reputation. And there are a lot of other things. People look from the outside and go, oh, no, I, I just, I couldn't. Someone, someone like me couldn't. I don't know enough. I haven't, you know. Uh, and a lot of these things, not everything, but a lot of these things, if you start chipping away at it and just see how far you can get, you can get way further than you expected. And yes, I have taken that approach from Everest into other things. And you're right about the confidence, but it's not just the success that Everest expedition was also a spectacular failure in the sense that we had all this negative publicity and we had a member of the team killed. You know, there, were, there were a lot of things that went badly wrong and we got um, some massive negative, well, we got incredibly mixed media coverage, which isn't fun. It's not fun having all sorts of strangers having opinions about you and your character and your choices. And, mm -hmm. You know, I grew up as a, middle-class girl who was invested in pleasing my parents and pleasing my teachers and doing well at school. And I wasn't used to failing and I wasn't used to that kind of criticism. Mm -hmm. And it was a really useful lesson because if you're too afraid to fail and therefore you never try anything unless you're absolutely sure you'll succeed, you'll never try anything very interesting and you'll never grow because you'll never take a risk. And having failed publicly and survived that, not fun, but not the end of the world, that was really useful to know. It made me a lot happier to try things where I might not succeed and go like, it's okay. Other people may, you know, have opinions, but as long as the people who matter to me support what I did and I believe I tried my best, that's okay. And I've done some fun stuff and learned some good things by approaching it that way. So confidence isn't just about success. Confidence is about understanding that failure is not the end. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have um, any other notable examples of what you might consider failure that um, taught you new, new things? Hmm. Well, there's always, in everything I do in the mountains, there's that very interesting problem of you need to be courageous and ambitious and determined enough to keep going. You don't want to give up just because it's uncomfortable or it feels vaguely difficult. 
uh, we've got to keep going. We've got to put in the discipline and grit our teeth and do hard stuff to get good results. We have to work for things. But on the other hand, mountain climbing isn't like running a marathon. You can't run until you literally collapse. And then they come and you know, pick you up in a taxi or something. Right. You've got to get back down the mountain. You have to stop before you collapse because you've got to be able to climb down. You've got to give up before you reach your limit. And it means we spend a lot of time in a gray area. Should we go on? Should we give up? How close are we to whatever limit is? And I've learned a lot there because you, know, you give up, someone else succeeds. You think they were lucky and took some bad you know, chances and they were lucky. They think they made you know, ambitious, intelligent choices. Right. Vice versa. You succeed. Oh, you made brilliant choices. No, actually, you were just bloody lucky. You got away with it. <laughs> uh, somebody else backed off and they were probably the right choice. And so much of life is like that. Some people succeed. They always take the credit for that. Some people fail. They normally blame external circumstances rather than their own choices. Right. And the truth is we spend a great deal of time in the gray area. And I found that helpful in everything I've done. Whether you're starting a business, you know, how much do you put into it? When do you give up? When do you call it quits? Uh, when you're working on a project, you know, at what point is like, I'm not getting value out of this anymore. It's time to walk away. Mm-hmm. Knowing when to give up. It's actually a really good life skill. We've had, we've had that discussion from time to time. Like when, how, how do you know when it's time to give up? Which, I mean, I'm sure that's a, there, there's no simple answer for that. I'm certain, but uh, I could be wrong. <laughs> is, is there no, anything in no, your life that you decided to give up on? Because. It has to, I think it has to be an equation. Mm. What are you sacrificing by what you're doing right now? What are you risking uh, if it doesn't succeed? And what else could you be doing with the time and the effort that right now you're spending on this project? And I think you need to revisit those things reasonably often and say, is this still, I have one life to live, you know, these years, these days will only be available to me once. Is this still the best choice of my time? And if you get to a project where you go like, yeah, maybe this could still work if we got a lightning stroke of luck. But the truth is the day-to-day grind is no longer bringing value. Uh, This time of my life would be better spent somewhere else. Then maybe that's when it's time to give up. Excellent. Yeah, you give good answers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, well, one of the funny things about giving good answers I run a side project called the business of adventure mm-hmm. which is designed to help uh, younger adventurers or basically adventurers find money mm-hmm. there are lots of people being doing inspirational adventure stuff and I'm the sort of pragmatic person who's going like yeah yeah but how are you going to pay for it mm-hmm. so I set up a website And I can hear myself when I talk to other younger adventurers giving really good advice. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, you know, you don't do that. You're giving advice to somebody else about stuff that you don't do. I try and make some notes and go like, I really should put that into practice. It's really good advice. You're you're talking to to two people who um, 
say that about ourselves frequently. <laughs> yes, I bet you you get all sorts of great life advice <laughs> by running this never, podcast. Never about a mountain. No, I haven't okay. had to cross that bridge yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well, that's really exciting. You know, we came on this podcast, and I mean, I saw you on the web, and I I see you talking to people, and I've heard you, and it's like. I don't know where this talk is going to go. <laughs> I didn't know where it's going to go either. It seems to go along, you know, you, you think we're talking about mountain climbing, but we're really talking about life and life processes and mm. decisions and how to make them and how to evaluate our choices. And it's a, it's, it's one of those talks that, um, I mean, there was a friend of mine, uh, well, he's, he still is a friend of mine, but he gave a talk one time and the, the crux of his talk was, you know, what's your mountaintop? And the the focus of his speech was basically, well, you know, if you've done this, this big thing here, then, you know, this thing here, you can do that. So you've clowned Mount Everest and what was number nine? Nangapabat. I didn't yeah. get to the top of Nangapabat though. Yeah, but you did it. So there's a whole there's a whole lot of things <clears throat> excuse me, in your life, in your vision that are doable just because you, you've already got your mountaintop. And I think most of us never really find out what our mountaintop is. And uh you know, I suppose that could be sad in, in some regards, but, uh, and again. But I think there's also a truth, which is that, uh, here I go again, but life's a journey and no one mountaintop lasts forever. At some point you have to step off it and keep going. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's been some very interesting stuff just now about some of those Olympic athletes mm-hmm. who had this incredible success and now they get to retire and they've got an entire life ahead of them, which will probably never quite meet the gold medal that they got, you know, in the 2018 Olympics, that mountain is receding into the distance day by day. And just because you were brilliant once at climbing a mountain or winning a medal or running a company or having a best-selling book or something doesn't mean that success will follow every day of the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. We still, I mean, I still wake up and there's some mornings where I just don't feel like getting out of bed. Um, you know, there are some days where I can tell myself I climbed Everest and I go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I still don't feel like getting out of bed. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, there are days when I go, to, you know, calling myself a motivational speaker feels like it's a, it's you know, it's a lie. I'm not walk, walk, walking my own talk here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's the truth. And, you know, my father was an incredibly successful businessman. His retirement wasn't all that happy because he didn't know what to do with himself when he <laughs> yeah. wasn't being a successful businessman anymore. Uh, life is hard. Um, and even successful people live in the shadow of their own success sometimes. And the truth that because you did one thing well doesn't mean you're going to do other things well. Right. You just have to keep on trying and keep on trucking. We do that. Any regrets? Any regrets? 
Um, yes. I think mostly the sense of opportunities that I didn't seize with enough conviction, things that I let slip away from me because I didn't have, I didn't get on top of them. And I think I didn't get on top of them because I sometimes felt not good enough for the opportunity. I didn't have the self-confidence to step into that space and own it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, despite all the stuff I've done, uh, I still struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And one of the downsides, I mean, I, I like being self-employed. I really enjoy it. I, I think I'd be a terrible employee. <laughs> um, I like being my own boss. <laughs> but I also suffer from having a good idea and then, Next day, thinking, oh no, it's not as you know, it's not such a good idea, really, and letting it go again. Whereas I think, if you're working with other people, you can kind of share the motivation. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I, some, I let some things go in time, and I, you know, there was no way of getting them back once I'd mm -hmm. realised. Uh, but hey, like I said, live and learn, and keep on tracking. And there's always another mountain. <laughs> there is, yes, there's no, I mean, one of the joys of mountain climbing is getting onto that ridge line and to having a look at what's on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I love that moment this, because it opens up this extraordinary sense of possibility. But it also opens up the sense that the journey never ends. There's always another valley. There's always another mountain. Yeah. So what's next? Well... I think I'm at a point where I'm less driven by any particular mountain. Mm -hmm. These days, I only want to go if I'm with people I really enjoy and it's an expedition that is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. The one thing I'd still like to do, which I think would be fun, would be a mountain that has never been climbed by anyone ever. And they exist. There are actually thousands of them in the world. Really? They do tend to be in hard to get to places. Mm -hmm. They tend to be in... Western China, or the knot of mountains where all the Stan countries are, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, the edges of Russia, mm -hmm. lot, there's a lot in there. So they're quite, they can be slightly awkward to organize, getting permission to go into those places. I'd like to do that. And beyond that, I decided in 2018, I do so much traveling for the speaking and then for the climbing. And I realized there was so much close to home that I haven't explored. You know, I live in the Pyrenees in Southern Europe now, and there's so much within a few hours or a few days of my home. And adventure doesn't have to be an 8,000 meter peak with like a $100,000 budget. I thought 2018, I'm going to explore my extended backyard. I'm going to have all those small adventures close to home. The other thing I decided to do, I'm still interested in new skills. Mm -hmm. I like traveling in mountains. So I, I rock climb and I, I ski tour, backcountry ski and I alpine climb. But it's getting hotter. Um, certainly in Europe, we have Going climate change. Climate-wise? Uh, yeah. yeah. Our summers are getting hotter. And it got so hot last summer, even in the mountains. The only place to be was in a mountain river. Wow. And there's a sport called canyoning. 
in the US you guys call it canyoneering. And so this is traveling down mountain canyons in the river and down waterfalls and you jump them if they're not too big and you use ropes to abseil down them if they are big. And it's quite risky because once you're in the canyon, there's no way out. You've got to get down it. You've got to come out where the river comes out at the bottom. So, uh, you know, it can go wrong. You don't want to be there if there's a sudden flood of water and, you know, right. but there's, there's skill involved here. See, this is, this well, is why we don't publish the video because we don't want the audience to see the face I just had right there. <laughs> This is very cool. Um, <laughs> so I've, you know, but I'm aware that I'm, I'm not experienced at, at high flow rivers, uh -huh. canyons. So I've got a training course coming up this summer for canyoneering to get me up to speed on skills. Wow. And then, and then the, the Eastern Pyrenees is world class for canyoneering. So I've got a lot of exploring to do, you know, once I've got those skills in place. Awesome. Did you see the smile on her face right there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Well, there are no match for you. I figured that out right now. Awesome. Josh, I'm going to shut up now. It's your turn. All right. So uh, as I mentioned in our in our email exchange before before we got on, um, we'd like to ask our guests to pose a, a challenge to our to our listeners. And um yeah, normally we say about a five to ten percent out of your comfort zone uh, thing, you know, just just to stretch people a little bit. But I'm guessing you're probably going to go a little more than no, five no, or ten percent. No, no, no. I have a very nice one for you. <laughs> and so, my challenge, based on a couple of things, a lot of people are afraid of heights, mm -hmm. and it's one of those fears. I'd be one people, of them. People don't ever push it. Once they're aware that they don't like heights, they just stay away from it. It becomes this big thing. The other thing that's true is that unless people are going to the gym and doing weight training, almost all of us do not do enough upper body exercise. Uh, and it's bad for us. And we go into old age without any muscle tone. Um, you know, the runners are kind of okay below the waist, but none of us are in good shape uh, above the waist. So, rock climbing gym, indoor rock climbing gym. They're in almost every city in the U.S. now. It's huge explosion in the sport. Just grab some friends, take your children. They're almost all, you know, very welcoming for children. And go and try indoor rock climbing. It's on a safety rope, it's completely safe. But that sense of falling off onto the rope, it's a great way of challenging the fear of heights. It's a very good training for coordination, flexibility, upper and lower body strength. And it's also very good for learning trust with kids because they have to hold the safety rope for each other. And I've got friends, adults, who actually find it helpful with mental health issues. Hmm. Uh, if they kind of battle to trust themselves or trust their place in the world. Something about the exercise of rock climbing and taking turns to hold that safety rope, hold your friend's life in your hands and make it work. They actually find that quite empowering uh, to understand that they can face that fear, take that responsibility, make it work. So yeah, indoor rock climbing. 
give it a go. All right. Well, I guess I have some Googling to do, and um, my wife will be not happy to find out what our next uh, <laughs> <laughs> <day> update is. <laughs> well, <laughs> can I just say that women are good at it. It's not doing a set of pull-ups. Women are more flexible. Mm-hmm. They've generally got better technique because they're not as strong. So they have to use their feet, and women are much more likely to pay attention to what the climbing instructor tells them. Yeah. Men are much more likely to just try and do a set of pull-ups. I got this. Uh, <laughs> what are you trying to say? No. So, uh, my bet is that your, your wife will probably be better at it than you are. Oh, she's going to be way better at it than me, but it's going to take a lot more to convince her to get up the, to, to get there. <laughs> right. Wow. That was awesome. So I'm, I'm going to steal a question from Josh. He normally says, you know, is there is there anything that you wish we'd asked you that we didn't? Well, I'm still wanting to know when we get to dominate the world. Isn't that the point of the podcast? Yeah, uh, the two of well, you are. Are doing world domination? Yeah, yeah, world, world domination. <laughs> However, I will say um, we're teaching people how to dominate their worlds, right. not not the world, because you see, we have to we oh, have to okay. domin- dominate ourselves. And you know, my my thing is when we master our mindsets, we master ourselves. So <clears throat> we have people visit us like you, who have that personal world mastery to teach people that it is possible. They can do it, and even if they start off scared, it's still it's still good, and it can happen. And you're a magnificent example of that. All right. Well, let me just say that I agree with you. It is possible. You can do it, but make sure you're doing the right thing. That the it is the right it for you. That you're climbing the right mountain, the mountain that you want, that brings you experience and joy and satisfaction that you're not climbing a mountain just because it's what your parents wanted or what your society values or you know what's hot in 2018 or all over instagram or something who knows one of the great values of mountains is standing on the side of a mountain going this mountain it doesn't do it for me and i know why because i know things about myself Mm -hmm. by taking on this challenge i'm going to go off and climb that mountain over there because that looks like it's much more my style. And that's what I think we gain through trying and failing, is the knowledge to stop wasting our time on the wrong mountain, the wrong it, and make sure that we're scaling the mountain that matters to us. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> you're, you're all over social media. What's your favorite right now? Where should people connect with you? Ooh, well, Instagram is all where all the pretty pictures are at. That's true. Uh, Lots of skiing, lots of climbing, and in between, pictures of a very black, fluffy cat. <laughs> uh, pretty prolific on Twitter. That, that's where the, the, the interesting articles and, and ideas are at. Mm-hmm. And then for anyone who's and it's a potential adventurer, a uh, nice resource at a website called thebusinessofadventure.com to try and help people answer that tricky question, how are you going to pay for it? <laughs> awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're excited to share this one with our community. Um, and we will definitely let you know when it's up. That's brilliant, guys. I've really enjoyed it. I've had a lot of fun doing this. You ask good questions, and I love the dynamic between the two of you. It's been a really nice hour. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, Tell all your friends. I shall. I shall. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, and enjoy your company. Brilliant. Thanks, All right. Good night. Good night. Hey, thanks for listening. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.